and welcome to Talking Foosball Extra, our Stieg edition, the podcast featuring all the latest from the Bundesliga 2 and the lower leagues of German football. And oh boy, what a glorious couple of weeks it has been. St. Pauli are still top of the Bundesliga 2, the debate regarding all the Gs is still raging on, and the Dritte Liga task force presented its results. So, there's plenty to talk about on this edition of our show. My name is Nick Wiltagen, and joining me is a man whose club can call itself German champions once again. Welcome back, Mike Krickemeyer. Champions of Germany, at least. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah, You're talking about the blind football. Maybe we do yes. have some minutes in the end of this episode. But yes, I'm quite happy with it. Yeah, I would, I would imagine. And uh, well done, St. Pauli. And this podcast wouldn't be the same without the one and only, our tactics expert and XG fanatic, uh, Jasmine Barber. How are you doing today, Jasmine? All good. Got flu vaccinated today, so hopefully I will still make sense throughout and by the end of this podcast. You, you didn't wait for any of the long-term effects studies? Don't. Don't. <laughs> that could be a full nother podcast. <laughs> But we will not. We've got enough vaccination topics on our vaccination podcast yes, this week. <laughs> we'll be we'll be moving into a vaccine podcast, giving you all the latest on vaccines in the not too distant future. But uh, after the break, instead of talking about more vaccines, get any vaccines you might want to get. Hepatitis is quite good, by the way. But instead of talking about all the vaccines available to you somewhere at your GP, we're going to dive straight into the Bundesliga two after this short break. Right. Well, let's start with the Aufstieg Pot Derby between Werder Bremen and St. Pauli. As you may well know, dear listener, I'm a Werder Bremen fan, and Mike, he is partial to St. Pauli. And Mike, you went once again on the road. This time around, you went to the world's most beautiful city, which fittingly also has the world's most beautiful football stadium in it, namely the Weserstadion. So how was your trip? Well, I really do love this city because I was born there, so I know it quite well. And um, well, I, I can't agree with the beautiful or most beautiful at least, uh, but yeah, it's still a very nice city. And it, it's uh, for me, it's always like coming home because I played for Werder in my youth for 12 years. So yeah, I, I do have some relations to that club. All in all, it was just quite brilliant day because uh, 4,000 St. Pauli supporters filled the away and the atmosphere uh, on the whole day and especially also in the stadium was great and after the game we went to the famous Eisen pub and we really really had a great day and well the game at least from my perspective it was quite okay so Werder were better in the first half St. Pauli had a great comeback in the second half and well, in injury time, we we even scored the winner, but um, yeah, it was taken away from us. Yeah, you want to talk about VAR and what it does to football? Yeah, so first of all, I'm a referee in amateur level, so uh, in general, I do support the VAR, even if I disagree sometimes with the way it is handled in German football. But talking about this goal, of course, the way and just exploded, and we, we were celebrating uh, what seems to be the next win. Yeah, well, taking a look at the video afterwards, uh, according to the rule as it is at the moment, it's correct to take it back, I think, because it hit the upper part of Makinok's arm. 
Um, you, you, you can argue about the rule itself because for me there was no intention from him to, to play it with his arm. But no goals should be allowed if it is a handball. So, yeah, it, it's, that's the rule at the moment and we need to live with it. And I can't say that it's wrong, it was wrong by the VAR. I'm just maybe not that happy with the rule at all. I mean, it wasn't as clear-cut as the, the handball goal that was scored by Marco Friedel in, in the first half as that looked more like um, he was trying to uh, make his way into beach volleyball. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was intentionally, and he was booked for it. Totally correct. Yes. So, um, I mean, there were two goals ruled out, and both of them, according to the rules, weren't goals. But um, hey, uh, the handball rule—that is a topic that has followed us for years and years and years. And when it comes to the use of the VAR, I mean, there, there's one episode that struck me in particular, and that was one of the first match days of the season when Verda was playing against Karlsruhe. Uh, Nikolai Rob was about to put a ball into the net from, was it three or four yards out? Uh, goal was empty. And there's a Karlsruhe player behind him pushing him, quite obviously giving him a shove. Nothing. Crickets from the VAR. Nobody bothered to watch it or tell the referee, well, ref, you should have another look at that. And for me, that is, first of all, a clear-cut chance and a clear-cut red card and a penalty. But the VAR didn't bother to intervene. And when it comes to Makinoy's goal, well, I mean, he didn't play the handball intentionally. I mean, that is, as a rule breach goes, that is a, a much smaller one than the first one, isn't it? Yeah, but, but again, there is the rule that no hand at all or arm should be involved in any kind of goal. We do have this rule for, I think, two years now. Yeah, you can agree with it or you can disagree, but that's the way it is at the moment. And I think the VAR has no chance in this specific case uh, than to overturn the rule or the goal. And for the incident you, you mentioned earlier, um, I think at the moment they are asked not to intervene if there is any pushing, at least if it's not too obvious, because on video and especially in slow motion, all these pushing incidents are looking probably a little bit different than on the pitch. And that's the reason why they say for all these push fouls, if it's not 120%, you should stick to the decision on uh, from the referee. All right, that cleared that one up. Jasmine, any thoughts on, on, on that particular game? I found it a little bit... I was really, really excited and... Some of it didn't live up. I think, as Mike said, it was pretty okay, was my thought. I think I overhyped it in my head. And then when I came to watch it, there was only two shots on target from either team. And some of the passing from, especially Werder Bremen, was pretty woeful. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was, I think a draw was the correct result on the day. I think it was a slight improvement from... Werder Bremen at times and a, a good kind of a good path into the a better direction let's say. Well what do you think about Phil Krug and the Dutch playing together or, or the magical striking partnership that is going to be known as Filksch? Filksch? I like that. <laughs> I, I mean a goal and assist in two games. I, I told you last week I don't think I've ever seen Phil Krug score a goal in my life so it's an improvement. I think something fired him up, let's say. 
<laughs> well, exciting times then. Anyways, uh, let's move on and uh, let's move to another topic that is, uh, well, uh, not as fun to talk about for both me and Mike. So I'm going to let you do most of the talking here, Jasmine, and that is HSV. Uh, they are now on seven draws for the season, going nowhere in particular either. Under the new coach, Tim Walter, this weekend saw another 1-1 draw against Holstein Kiel. But... The Red Shorts also made some positive headlines. Uh, so can you tell us why that is? Yeah, they um, changed what people thought were spelling mistakes for Mefer and Heia jerseys to Mefort and Heia. And this was to outline, basically, embracing awareness for people with uh, dyslexia. And it's... I mean, a lot of people was like, this is a really different thing to be raising awareness but it's quite a nice thing that they've done here and the way that they've done it with changing the players names on the shirts now uh, like any kind of good campaign that you put on twitter and that people realize there's always going to be some silly people who take offense some people thought that the taking out the er for other vowels was a gendered language complaint (laughs) which was obviously not what it was it was the most likely letters to be mixed up for an er but we don't have to talk about how people will change things for their own agenda but it's really nice because as i didn't know until i looked into it a little bit more about um that there's 6.2 million people in germany who can't read or write well and uh, they estimate around half of these actually are affected by dyslexia in some sort of way because it's not only reading wrongly but it's also um, spelling wrongly and pronunciation of words and it's just basically to have more tolerance of people who can't read and write as well as others but they're also transforming this campaign to their website and being more inclusive both in English and German to write in shorter, simpler, more effective language and where, when it needs to be, putting in more imagery to help readers kind of put the stories together, which is really nice and inclusive. They want all kind of fans of Hamburg to be inclusive and being able that even if you can't read or write well, you can follow news on their site especially when it comes to ticketing or going to a game but so it's a really nice awareness campaign from them yeah i would agree and uh, you know I, I like i like to make light of hsv and it, it's striking me as hilarious that they're on seven draws and that they're going nowhere in particular and they're giving up leads at the end of matches like like it's the most fun thing they could imagine doing but uh, <laughs> i i think this this campaign is absolutely brilliant and uh i've got nothing but admiration for for the man or the woman who who came up with that concept because i think it's a it's a good step to take and uh well, I'm always for more inclusiveness. Did the Champagne fans have any thoughts about this campaign by HSV? Did you begrudgingly praise them? <laughs> no, I, I would also like to continue talking about their seven draws, but uh, <laughs> I need to agree that this was a good campaign. But on the other hand, it was not a campaign only by HSV. It was a campaign by the whole league on this weekend. So for Werder and uh, St. Pauli game, uh, there was uh, also a, a game for inclusion on the whole match day. And uh, I think they highlighted the blind radio uh, commentary. And so nearly every club does 
something. Um, but of course, this was uh, a campaign which made it to the headlines because it was, uh, yeah, very easy to understand. And, and uh, yeah, especially with, with those people who misinterpreted it, um, yeah, it, it made some headlines. <laughs> yes, there are always those who, who don't quite get the concept of, of things like this, aren't there? Uh, anyways, uh, moving on to the other HSV, uh, Hanover 96's fans, they are once again protesting against something, uh, as they seemingly always do. Uh, but this time around, the protests aren't directed towards Martin Kind, who probably needed to adjust one of his hearing aids when he heard that for once he wasn't the target. So who is on the naughty list of the 96's fans this time around? Yeah, it's, uh, they, they address it to the government of Lower Saxony or Niedersachsen and uh, they want to get rid of the personalized tickets. In their opinion, it slows down the entrance process and there is no need to do it as you can track people on um, such big events with apps or other tools. So um, to, just to backtrack a little bit here, so when you say that it needs to be personalized tickets and it slows down the entrance, does that mean that everyone who comes with a personalized ticket has to show ID at the entrance, which means that basically, what is the capacity there right now? 25,000? Yeah. Basically, 25,000 people have to show a passport or a driver's license or some other form of ID in order to gain entrance to the stadium. Uh, but as far as I know, and uh, I've been to five or six uh, top league stadiums this year, um, it's the case everywhere at the moment. Just because it is done like this everywhere doesn't say that it's a good thing, but I don't see an, a, a real alternative at the moment because uh, they want to track the people and uh, so they need to make sure that you can only enter the stadium with a ticket that is with your name and you are not allowed to forward it at the moment. Uh, so, for example, for St. Pauli, you can, of course, even as a season ticket holder uh, from this match day on, on the weekend, we are um, our, our season tickets are eligible again. And you can give it away to someone else, but then you need to repersonalize it. And at the entrance... Uh, I think that's the same at all the stadiums at the moment. You need to present your ticket with your name on it. You need to present your ID and you need to present yeah, your vaccine certificate or something like that or your test depending on the stadium. So, yeah, at the moment, every single entrance process in Germany takes some time. But I don't really see an alternative. And yeah, coming back to, to what they are demanding now, I'm, I'm not really sure if they will succeed with that in the short term. But of course, it's important in general to raise that topic from time to time to make sure that all clubs end this personalization process at the end of the pandemic. Because we don't want to be all tickets personalized, especially for the away uh, supporters. I mean, the first thought that struck me when it came to, well, you can track people in this or that way, but I mean, that sort of gives you a massive amount of data that is going to a club or some authority. And do you want them to be able to collect that much data on you? Would be my point. I mean, data collection of people like the way that Facebook has been doing it, the way that Google has been doing it, it's a massive thing and it impacts your life in a massive, massive way. And uh, I mean, giving any sort of entity that much insight into your data, allowing them to, to track this or that, that, that gives up 
a certain amount of your privacy, which it doesn't seem that way because, well, hell, you only you only install an app. But, you know, from where I stand, this might not have been thought through enough. Jasmine, any thoughts on that demand? So their personalized tickets is for the sake of trace and track, right? That's how, yeah. So I don't understand why they can't force if we, if we want this kind of personalized thing to end but there is also a need for check and trace or tr- trace and track oh gosh too many alliterations there for my mouth to actually say why isn't it more of the apps that have been going around where you check in on a qr code rather than have your details like tr- trace and track are easy enough to do without personalized tickets it, but then it does focus on those people being responsible for actually isolating, actually listening to the track and trace, which I can understand why they would want to go further to personalise tickets. But, you know, Germany is a little bit more well-behaved as other countries that I come from in actually isolating and it being based off Bluetooth as being pinged, which is a perfectly safe way to trace and track so i can see i'm at i'm completely with you with data collection and i would like to see less of it because in certain authorities hands i would not trust it either but there is still a need for people to be traced if there is a covid outbreak or etc um so it depends on a which authorities they go through because normally health authorities i'd be more trusting than to police authorities, which I think is in in Hanover. Is it police authorities that trace them? Because we talked about personalized tickets before and police having the data, but is it their health authority having it? Because then they're probably going to have quite a bit on you anyway. No, at at the moment, um, usually the club has the data. At least that's the way it is at, at most clubs. Yeah. And in case of an outbreak, then they need to give it to the health authority. I don't think that any club would really uh, support if this whole thing, if, if the data goes to the police, yeah. not in Germany. Yeah, exactly. And because, you know, we have these kind of things that, especially in England with um, health authorities having your data, but then now looking to back but basically back supply it to American insurance companies. So data is, yeah, exactly. You can, yeah. So I'm a little bit more paranoid with what happens with my data, even in Germany, even though I think it's more legitimate. But yeah, there are ways to do this without the personalization and clubs having your data, even though I trust German authorities a little bit more and clubs that have my data. I just think there's, and even though it's not right, and the same thing with Facebook and etc., I still have a greater level than trust because I'm pretty sure most of my data has been sold to Americans and Russians already. <laughs> oh well, yeah. I'm just I'm just wondering if there's some CIA official sitting in Langley now watching your data, saying, "Well, she's really into her XG, isn't she?" <laughs> the FBI on my webcam right now. No taking notes for the next bet <laughs> <laughs> well maybe there are some soccer fans among those fbi officials uh hope they think that this is time well spent anyways um well uh 
for me, it's it's just a case of well, guys, uh, it has to be this way for now, and it'll it'll come to an end. Hopefully, it'll come to an end. Take your vaccines, take that booster shot when it comes, and you know we'll we'll be fine at the end of it. We'll be fine, hopefully. Anyways, last topic of of this segment, and well, I I cannot longer sustain. But Jasmine, we we do have to talk about Darmstadt. So the Lilies, they're doing quite well right now. They've gathered 10 points from their last four matches, and that is a pretty decent run, given that they had two rather difficult opponents in, well, Werder, at least on paper, <laughs> and Nuremberg during their current run. And, you know, what? what is that Lieberknecht magic all about? Well, I mean, I, I was a bit doom and gloom at, like a couple of months back because of the loss against Hansa Rostock, and it was quite an easy run for Darmstadt. And... Now it turns out that we can beat some of the more well-placed teams. I don't even know if Roman are good on paper anymore. Depends on what you view as quality and things like that. I won't go into Roman this week. I promise. Um, not more than I already have. But it seems like Darmstadt are good. To try and place if a team is good or not in the spite of Bundesliga is even more difficult this year than previous years because Nuremberg were unbeaten and looked like a very solid team and I would say we easily took them apart, Domscher easily took them apart and if you look at the stats there's nothing really spectacular about Domscher. They're 8th in XG, 12th in XGA but I've kind of allured to the uh, that XG and XGA are just not really good indicators in the league so I dug a little deeper and went to the most reliable thing that I could that kind of reflects Vitabundeslinger right now and I found <laughs> expected goals on target difference where Darmstadt are fifth and kind of has the right places where you would see most of the teams in the league as they are in this table as well but it's not about stats when it comes to Darmstadt it's about their team. I think it's one of the better teams in the spite of Bundesliga. We've got Luca Pfeiffer and Philip Tietz on 17 goals between them, which puts them at fourth and fifth top scorers in the league. It's a really nice, well-balanced 4-4-2 formation. It's a sexier 4-4-2 than Sandhausen right now. Sexier than um, Sandhausen? Oh my. I, I, I think most teams are right now, but they're coming back. But we've had signings such as Jasula, um, Yannick Muller, as well as Pfeiffer and Tietz. You've got Thomas Isherwood, who didn't play that much last season, so I'm kind of including him in this as well, because he's starting to play a little bit more. But how did Darmstadt get a Champions League striker, basically, and a well-performing striker from the Dritte Liga? And it's because their data and the way that they use data is so far beyond any other team in the Spite Bundesliga right now. So basically when clubs use data, they normally fall in, when they do use data, there's some that don't. They fall into one or two groups. They fall into the first, where they buy data tools or work with third parties. Like um, Scout, for instance. Yeah, exactly. And then you've got all stats perform and etc. Or you've got the second group who actually build their own database and their own approach, they set their own key performance indicators based on their philosophy and the way that they want to go. And 
it's Darmstadt that's chosen to do the second option, which hardly anyone ever does, especially in the Spiderliga, because there's no kind of brains around it on how to do exactly that. Sounds sounds also more expensive than just buying the services. You think so, but it's in long term finances. It's actually cheaper to go that build it yourself. Oh wow! Because the kind of money that you have to put into third party companies, it's quite a lot to keep them running. So it's actually cheaper to build it all yourself. It's just having the know how on how to do that. And the work at Darmstadt started when Mark Zanfen came in because it was kind of his idea. It's something he really wanted to do because he likes to keep up with the modernization of football. And especially with how the how long the pandemic is lasting, it was actually more cost-worthy to go his way and switch from live scouts to video scouts because live scouts couldn't go see people in other countries anyway and giving the video scouts the data and the names to recruit them and as far as i know many clubs don't have the same facilities to carry that out and so they took his principles of play the setup of the team and produced that into their own data so for example left backs need to be more comfortable in their half spaces and to try and put it into Lyman's terms you need to find in these data set you need to look at the numbers in regards to all actions so stuff like passes under pressure passes received and dribblings and there's like 200 more of these little things and once you find the kind of players that fit the bill you then switch to the position that you want them to be in and see if they come up again and then you look at the players that have maybe played there or the players that haven't played there but might be comfortable in there and this is the kind of way they replicate it for any position and all the requirements and placement on the pitch and that's the kind of process that they go through and they've also managed to build an infrastructure that compares different leagues to the Spider League which is how they picked up Philip Teets He's very similar to Sada. He had the same kind of qualities of, you know, when he gets played a certain ball at a certain angle in a certain position, he manages to convert those. So it's a really cool way of how Darmstadt utilised data and basically have been left with a very, very good team. And I'm getting to the point that I'll be quite upset if they don't make at least the top five. Wow. Because... Their squad is very, very good. And I can't really say, apart from maybe Pauli with Bergstoller and Mackinac, and Pauli looked better with Mackinac on the pitch, and they did it on um, Saturday as well. I don't find another team that has that much strength in depth. And it, what's amazing is using that data is that Darmstadt have made to create this well in depth team and that works perfectly together with only the I think the eighth less spend out of the whole league there's so many teams who've spent so much more money so um yeah I I find the way that they do things extremely well they've got a well-built team and if they don't go on to do better things because I think they're starting to show that they can break down the Nurnbergs 
we'll see how it goes with Schalke. I think Schalke's another big test, but as I said, Schalke lost to Heidenheim and all has returned to Schalke. I, I, honest, I honestly expect Darmstadt to win against Schalke because I feel like Darmstadt is a better team than Schalke right now. Yeah, so Schalke is coming up next and then it's St. Pauli at home. You don't think that things are going to go teats up for Darmstadt hey. <laughs> during those two matches? <laughs> Unless one or both get injured. <laughs> No. Excellent. And well, I mean, that, that was truly fascinating. And, and uh, football journalists of the world, go to Darmstadt, see what they're doing. Write a feature story on that with, you know, I don't know, 10,000 words or something and, and tell the world because it, it really sounds like something that a model that other clubs maybe would want to follow. And I'm most proud fitting that into somewhat like seven or eight minutes. I thought that would be a lot longer and you would have to cut me off. Well, well it's impolite to cut people off. But anyways, <laughs> I, I'm going to set an end to this segment of the show. We'll be straight back with the news from the lower leagues and some ground-hopping advice. Welcome back. I uh, hope you're sitting down with a cup of coffee or maybe a cold beverage or something and enjoying the show so far. And well, let's dive straight into the news coming from the lower leagues. And uh, first up is the Dritte Liga Task Force. And uh, well, they've presented new licensing conditions. So the clubs in the Dritte Liga have uh, for some time protested some of those licensing conditions set by the DFB. Some of the smaller clubs have found conditions such as having a heated playing pitch or minimum stadium capacity of 10,000 spectators and a number of other conditions to be unfair towards them. So, guys, uh, what sort of results has that task was presented? Yeah, well, quite a number uh, in general. And I think the main points are that they are lowering the minimum capacity from 10,000 to 5,000, which might make it easier for many clubs from the Regionalliga. Uh, they will also create something like financial fair play. I haven't seen any details on that, but well, it, it will be similar to what the UEFA does and maybe they bring it to work instead of the UEFA. And from a supporter's perspective, they now need to schedule a fan dialogue three times a year and install a full-time supporters liaison officer in every club. And I think this is this is a huge step forward, especially for, for the smaller clubs and their fans, um, because now also supporters are getting professional or the way they are treated is getting professional. So why is financial fair play key here? Because, I mean, to dive a little bit deeper into, into the details here, what the new rules say from, from the 2023-24 season, negative equity capital is going to be sanctioned. Equity capital has to be increased by at least 5% a year. When it comes to, uh, when it comes to relegated teams from Bundesliga 2, it, it, it's not allowed to get any worse than it is. And additionally, well, there are going to be financial fair play rules, which are, well, they are basically saying that uh, negative results, if you don't reach your targeted earnings, you are going to be punished by getting less from the DFB. And you can even be fined, which is, you know, <laughs> maybe punch in punch in the face. But hasn't it always been the case that the Drizzliga has sort of been 
the league where you have sort of 10 to 12 teams, which all desperately are clamoring to get back to the Bundesliga 2. And that's why financial, well, reasoning has sort of gone out of the window at in some clubs. Yeah, um, I think in the last couple of years, you, you had some clubs really struggling uh, from a financial perspective. You had always uh, guys like Pono Marev, who was in charge at Uerdingen, who used their clubs like, uh, yeah, on the playground and then just made very funny financial decisions. And yeah, the problem in the last couple of years was that you don't have the TV money like in the first two leagues. and um, but, but you have the same amount of professionalism and you have more or less similar wages, probably just, I don't know if it's the half of the second league, but it's still too expensive to have a squad in that league uh, if you want to stay in that league for some years. You need always every year to try to get up to second division. Otherwise, uh, you will not make it for, for another couple of years because in the past it was just too expensive. And now they do have a TV deal for, I don't know, one or two years now with Telekom, which made it a little bit easier. But still, um, it's too expensive to play in the Uh, so what does those requirements mean for the clubs then is it going to see them maybe approach their finals a little bit more reasonable and at the same time does it mean sort of that, uh, that there's going to be a drop in quality of, of what's on offer on the pitch if you expect a football club to act reasonable um no they don't do that <laughs> from a financial perspective so um i'm quite curious how this will work out in the end um you can always ask club to spend less money and uh, probably they, they won't do it. Uh, they, they will find secret ways to uh, pay their players. I don't know if, if any kind of sponsors are involved in that or whatever. So, so you're sort of imagining sort of like a return to the pre-Bundesliga years when, you know, clubs sort of gave these so-called amateurs uh, cushy jobs like, well, you can, you can, you can get a job as a news agent and yeah. you don't have to turn up for work ever and you'll be paid 3000 deutsche mark for that which at that point was a ridiculous wage for such a job yeah and in the end uh you you will just take a look in in the books of the clubs and if there are any other contracts out of that you're not involved in that so <laughs> let's wait and see but i'm not that optimistic that the financial situation of the third league will improve Well, I mean, I, I sort of seem to remember that Erding was a quite strange case because Pomerarev came in, he wanted to get them from the Oberliga to the Zweite Liga, he succeeded in taking them to the third tier. And what he basically did, he invested, 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 invested in players, 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 never built anything. I mean, the training facilities were dire, absolutely dire, substandard, never put a penny into them. He then hired big names like Stefan Effenberg to be, you know, team managers. And Stefan Effenberg, uh, who is a pretty much a genius at that job, because uh, he found out that he knew somebody in Italy who had a hotel and they could sort of have a training camp there. And it turned out that uh, when they arrived in that winter training camp, that none of the facilities there were actually um, available. So there was just, uh, you know, not even the golf course was uh, was open for the Tiger. Um, 
So they had to return from that training camp after a couple of days without having trained at all, uh, losing an awful lot of money in the process. And at the same time, you know, they just couldn't manage to get their heads above water in the table in the Dritte Liga, always fighting relegation and never really being in that conversation for, for the promotion to, to the Bundesliga too. So, I mean, there, there are plenty of such examples in, in the, in the Dritte Liga. And, uh, you know, there's even Kaiserslautern who went into receivership during, uh, during the, uh, corona pandemic and you know that receivership wasn't punished at all not with any points deduction or anything so it sort of seems that the financial ways of these clubs has been insane they always spend more with the same target of getting to the Bundesliga 2 and when 10 to 15 teams are doing it each and every year you get a lot of money being spent on wages and nothing goes towards you know a sustainable future like you know developing young players and such and um, that really has been the key problem for for the Dritte Liga for many many years now I mean it's where uh, as uh, I think it was Spielvereinigung Unterhaching's president once put it it's where clubs go to die yeah so uh, any of those changes are they positive are they a step in the right direction then I would say I'm glad there were some changes that were being floated around that I'm glad they haven't gone with. There was talk of splitting up the three Liga, which I don't know, didn't feel right. And I don't think that would have worked either. So I'm kind of glad that hasn't happened. I do like the capacity rule because you've got clubs, I think Victoria Berlin, who have rented out a, a bigger stadium to be in that league. So obviously, uh, if same, someone same with uh, Fell, I think in, yeah. in North Australia. I think yeah, that's also the one. But you know, if you rent out a bigger stadium, that's going to cost you more. And then, if you again, if you don't get back up into this fight of Bundesliga, if you even fall down to Regionalliga, how much money is that going to cost you? So, for teams to not have to rent out a bigger stadium. I think that is going to be a plus for a couple of teams. Not all, but I think that is a way to go step forward. I think there are teams that will probably feel like they can take 10,000, rent a bigger stadium, and sell, maybe not sell it out, but have a bigger capacity and earn more money that way. But yeah, for the majority of like Victoria Berlin, probably like Phil, who had to really fight to come up with the capacity of their ground. That can be quite breaking for a team if they don't do as well. Yeah, uh, are there any changes that should have been implemented that haven't been, guys? Oh, I think the, you need to start from the top, and uh, now you need to do the next step and also bring the Regionalliga to more professionalism, but also maybe lower uh, the things that are demanded from that clubs because. Uh, for example, in, in Hamburg, we do have a club, uh, Tuss Dassendorf, who gets Hamburg Oberliga champion, I don't know, for five or six years in a row. But they don't want to be promoted to the Regionalliga because um, also the requests that you need to fulfill in that league are too high for them. So I think this was a good first step. And now you need to see how you can uh, develop the third league, but also the Regionalliga in the next couple of steps. Yeah, the Regionalliga with all the requirements to policing uh, presence and and such and away fans that need to be shielded from from the home fans and such. It's uh, it has sort of given it the, the nickname of uh, the Champions League for amateurs. 
I mean, the uh, the demands are so ridiculous given the size of some of these clubs. It uh, really uh, doesn't make any sense. Anyways, talking about clubs in the regular Liga, we have Lübeck's fans boycotting the away match at Altena due to the 2G rule there. Chemnitzer FC fans boycott the away match at Jena because there is a so-called 3G plus rule. So yes, once again, COVID is on everyone's lips, hopefully not literally. Last week it was Joshua Kimmich who made a bit of an arse of himself when he admitted that he hadn't taken the vaccine, making everyone's head explode because the reasoning behind his uh, statements were clinically speaking, and I'm not going to use a medical term, a lot of bollocks. But this time around, it's uh, it's the ultra scene, uh, which is sort of displaying that they're rather split on the issue because some places ultras have returned to the stadium under 2G conditions. And now you have these two groups saying that, well, we don't want 2G, or in the case of Chemnitz FC, we don't want 3G. So why is it such a divisive issue among ultras or the, you know, the, the different G rules? I don't know. <laughs> and I'm quite happy that we don't have that issues or discussions at our club. So, and then if you list these teams, um, Lübeck, Chemnitz and so on, these are all fan scenes. Yeah. Which, <laughs> um, yeah, might be difficult. And, uh, I, I don't really understand. I think uh, the situation in Altona was a little bit um, more complex because um, Altona also uh, reduced the away capacity from 200 tickets to 100 tickets. And they uh, I'm not sure if they really didn't get there because of the 2G, but it was at least one part of the whole thing. And yeah, in the end, it's, it's uh, also o o always these fan scenes which are more leaning to the right side of the political schedule. And um, yeah, maybe that's one of the points. <laughs> well, I mean, in the case of Lübeck, uh, it was funny to see that the club even supported them, I think, in their decision and in the case of Chemnitz, well, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we talked do, to... Do we even need to touch on like that? Because we can, if not, even still protesting the 3G is... Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we once recorded the old Ausstieg podcast in Chemnitz. We did a road edition and we were sort of, uh, you know, chatting about the atmosphere at grounds and such. And um, yeah, when we were sort of speaking English, you sort of saw several hats sort of turning, looking towards us. And we sort of thought, well, we're going to move for the second half. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a, well, it's, it's not the most pleasant of fan scenes in, in Germany and you certainly don't feel the most welcome in uh, at their stadium compared to let's say St. Pauli or Werder Bremen or pretty much any other team that I've been to. Anyways, talking about going different places, ground hopping advice is required from you, Mike. Where do you want to take us today? Yeah, due to the time, I will go for an easy answer and recommend the stadium at the zoo in Wuppertal. Mm. So the Wuppertaler SV played in the Bundesliga for three years in the 70s. They even once made it to the UEFA Cup. Um, they lost against the Polish club in first round, so it was not that uh, big uh, experience for them. And at the moment, they play in the Regionalliga West. Um, Wuppertal, in general, is famous for its Schwebebahn, so an overhead or a suspension railway, 
but also the stadium is worth a visit. Um, it has been built in 1924. The official maximum capacity was 38,000 in 1974 against Bayern Munich, and it's under monument protection since 1983, uh, especially for the main stand. And nowadays it can host up to 25,000. The reason why I like this stadium so much is in 1927 and 1954, it, it hosted the Cycling Track World Championships. And the cycling tracks have been removed in the 70s to enable more fans in the stands uh, in those three years when they played in the Bundesliga. And in the home and away stand, you can still see or at least imagine how it was back then because these two stands are some meters above the rest of the ground. Uh, so, and, and you still see the, where, where there might have been this bicycle track. And I really, really like that. So if you plan your trip, go to Wuppertal, visit the Schwebebahn and visit the stadium at the zoo. Well, I mean, uh, one one point that is also worth mentioning when it comes to the Regionalliga vest, and uh, you know, we just labeled the Regionalliga as sort of the Champions League for amateurs. But when you when you look at the, who's currently playing in in the Regionalliga vest, there is Rotweiss Essen, who have a pass in the Bundesliga in the seventies as well. Fortuna Köln, uh, Preußen Münster. Uh, Fortuna Köln, I think, never reached the Bundesliga, but Preußen Münster spent one year there. Oberhausen played in the Bundesliga in the past, has been in the Bundesliga 2 for some years as well. And then there's, of course, LR Arlen and Aachen. And there's also Erdingen. So there are a lot of great teams in that league. So um, if you if you want to make a weekend of it, Wuppertal and North Rhine-Westphalia in general are pretty much a good place to start if you want to see some really proper lower league actions between sides that once upon a time were really great. Yep, agree. <laughs> Short and sweet. Anyways, I think this is it for, for this edition of Talking Foosball Extra, Aufstieg Edition, uh, which has, has always been produced by Aiden Rain Tool. Guys, always a pleasure chatting with you about some lower league action. Uh, Jasmine, uh, tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work. On Twitter, you can find me at jasmine underscore bh1. And I've, as my pinned tweet is my first article for dw sports this season so give it a read it's just about leipzig wolfsburgs and what was the third team and another team's problems which i've seemed to have forgotten (laughs) (laughs) mike have you forgotten your twitter handle or do you do you still know it i still know it it's mike Kru, and you better follow the Milan tune. And in uh, two match days from now, I'll be in Darmstadt. So um, I'm quite curious how this game will work out in the end. And if Jasmine still says that St. Pauli and Darmstadt are the best teams in the league at the moment, or if we will need to decide for one of them. <laughs> well, I would love to be there, but uh, obviously I can't. Anyways, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, Nick Wiltagen, at Norm Musings. You can follow the podcast at Talking Foosball. Make sure to check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Talking Foosball, to get loads and loads and loads of extra content. And uh, well, this uh, Talking Foosball Extra will be back two weeks from now due to the international break. And next up on this channel are the Fantasy Boys, who are going to give you all you need to know about the upcoming Bundesliga match day.